the most competitive guy. I, I mean, I would throw on Michael Jordan, Isaiah Thomas, oh, yeah. Kobe Bryant. It's basketball. It can't be, you know, you, you can't overthink it. Welcome back to King of Foster. I am Terry Foster, and I am joined by uh, Free Press sports columnist Sean Windsor, unless he got disconnected. You still there? No, I'm still here. I'm still here. All right. I want to ask, Sean, I want to ask you an industry question. Uh, when I was in the game as a sports reporter and columnist and stuff, I never liked asking questions at press conferences because, to me, you're not going to get – the right answer. You're just going to get some canned answer. You're not going to get the truth. I always like to um, talk to people off the stage and stuff like that. But now I think it's more difficult for you guys, because if I'm not uh, mistaken, most of your interaction with athletes are off of uh, Zoom calls now. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. All of them. Yeah. Okay. So do you feel that it's more difficult to get a read for the team because you're not in the locker room or, or is it the same? <clears throat> no, I, I think it is more difficult. Not only are you not, so it's not only are you limited to, to zoom, but the, the team is picking who's available. Right. So you can't just have random sort of uh, conversations in the locker room where you, you know, you get to know guys a little bit better and, uh, I, I suppose you could have phone call conversations. I mean, I, I've had a few of those, um, and that's easier to do to meet with coaches, but um, or assistant coaches, you know, that that sort of thing. So you can still get a little bit of that. But I'm with you. You know, in general, you'd much rather have one on one. But if you're, especially if you're a beat writer and you you're in the locker room, say the Lions locker room several times a week, and you can just kind of, you know, there are a lot of times you walk up to a player and other. There are other reporters that will come over and so forth, but there are times where you can just kind of have conversations, just the two of you, and a lot of times it might be off the record. You can kind of you can kind of get background and somebody's feelings on something and, and all of that, and that's absolutely lost right now. Yeah, because sometimes, you know, I'll go in the locker room and just, you know, you, you read the locker room, what kind of mood people are in before you go up to talk to them. But, you know, um, I heard um, – from someone the other day says about the Lions and Matt Patricia. Well, I don't see any players complaining about Matt Patricia. Well, you're not going to see any players complaining about the Lions, the Tigers, or anybody right now because if you're on a Zoom call, you know it's produced by the team. The team officials are on there, and it's not private. A lot of things you get in the locker room from private conversations. Maybe you you know, nobody else is around. You guys are just talking, and they might tell you something. Nobody's going to tell you anything on a Zoom call because, you know, they no, fear sure. that they could get in trouble. Yeah, they're not going to tell you if they're upset with the team or for sure or personally with something going on. Right. Because you're right. They're, they're set up by the organization, and the media relations right. people are running them. You're absolutely right. So it's just it's different. It's in a, I'm sure it's an adjustment for them. I mean, who knows? Maybe a lot of them like it because it's, you know, you there's a certain security to it, and you just kind of watch what you say, and you do your, you do your ten minutes, and you move on, right? So maybe, maybe right, that, absolutely. Uh, maybe that I, I mean, you you can't tell me some of these players, especially, have enjoyed the break from us, right? Especially in baseball, where 
it's every day. The clubhouse is open. I mean, I know the clubhouse hours have shrunk over the years to media. They're not, it's, mm-hmm. it, it used to be open all the time, but but uh, but I I gotta believe that they've enjoyed a little bit of that break. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they have too. Now, um, in my dealings, I always tell people this: uh, the biggest I'll be blunt with the biggest asshole factor in professional sports in my mind are baseball players. Do you agree, agree with that or do you have do you find no, other players more difficult? No, I do. And and I hate to say that because it's all anecdotal, right? It's just based on uh and I can occasionally remember going into to the clubhouse for other for visiting teams at Comerica and occasionally going into the home clubhouses when I was on the road with the Tigers. And uh, you know, and some of those, some of those clubhouses would feel different. They would feel more open. The tension wasn't the same. I mean, when the Tigers were good for, for that stretch from what 2006 on and off till what 2013 or 14, I know that a couple of years in there where they when they weren't as good. But by and large, they had they had a fairly long run of competitive baseball. There were some times in there where it just yeah, I didn't enjoy that clubhouse at all. I mean, there were some personalities I, I you, in there that just you know. <laughs> I, I tell you, the guy that used to piss me off all the time was Juan Gonzalez, because first of all, he would come in late, and then he had an entourage, and then the little PR people would follow him, and then they're saying only baseball questions, only baseball questions. I'm like, I don't want to talk to him about baseball. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's going on here, you know, department, and you know, he doesn't want to be here, and all this kind of stuff. So that was the one guy that I was so happy that his stay here was so short. Because I didn't want to deal with the entourage. I didn't want to have to deal with what questions you were allowed to ask and not ask. I just want to talk to a dude. Yeah, I know. I, you know what, though? I don't want to give – I mean, look, the, I, I don't know what it is or, or why it is about baseball. I don't know if it's because it's every day and reporters mm-hmm. around every day or it's just the, the, the makeup of, of who plays. Sometimes there's a, there's a language barrier in there, and that can be frustrating for both sides. Although I know right. that a lot of beat reporters these days have, have studied and learned Spanish, which I think is a great thing. But um, but there were also, I mean, there were. I got to learn Japanese. Yeah, right, right. There were plenty of reporters that were, I mean, excuse me, players that were a joy to deal with in that clubhouse. Uh, Tory Hunter comes to mind, right? Um, oh, yeah. Alex Avila. Alex Avila was great. Brandon Edge was always available. Um, Don Kelly, you know, I mean, you just think of some of the guys yeah. that you were know- Brand, you, know. you know what? I, I want to give it up to Brandon Inge because Brandon Inge was at times getting ripped, but this dude would always show up, always personable, give you all the time you wanted. So I I, I always respected him for that. Because some dudes, yeah, you know, he, even though they don't yeah, read the paper, they know that you're ripping them. Yeah, he was he was the whipping boy there for a while, and, uh, and yet he. He, he was there available almost every day. You're right, for sure. And, mm-hmm, uh, and absolutely. Because that's not easy. You know, yeah. Right? I mean, I know that's part of it. But. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about America's team. You know I'm talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Um, right. Why do we care about this team so much? Uh, you know, they haven't won playoff games. They've been irrelevant, but when they lost to Arizona in that Monday night football game, it was like the whole nation celebrated. People were jumping up and down and excited about this. It was, you know, I, I don't, 
prescribed it to them as America's team. And I, I just kind of wonder, why did we react like that? Why did America react like that with the Dallas Cowboys so much that you just were jumping up and down because they were losing? It's not like they win championships every year. It's not like it's Duke or, or something like that. It's just the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. There, there are a few th- things I think about this. The Cowboys won. I, I don't know that they're as beloved as they used to be. I mean, they, they've always been hated, or at least since the 70s, maybe even the 60s, but surely since the 70s. I don't know if they're I – th- I still think they're hated. I don't know if they're quite as beloved as they used to be, but this whole idea of America's team, I know maybe that was partly branding and marketing. And back when, they, when, when this happened, you know, the sports world was completely different. And, um, I mean, for one, baseball was a lot more popular, but there weren't as many teams. And they were, and they were really good. I mean, they were, they were good in the '70s, and they were decent even in the late '60s, right? I'll tell you what. I, I was, my dad was in the military. I was stationed in, uh, he was stationed in Germany in the, in the middle '70s. And um, when I was a kid, I don't know, 11, 12 years old, and, uh, and I didn't really have an NFL team because I grew up on bases and so forth. But as I got old enough to start watching and liking the NFL, what little bit we got over in Germany on the base. The Cowboys became my team. I remember a comic book that was sort of a comic book about the Cowboys. Tom Landry was the coach, right? Uh, uh, Drew Drew Pearson, and um, this is even before Tony Dorsett came. But but uh, who was my favorite back as a kid? But I don't know why I gravitated towards that team because the Steelers were pretty popular then too, and they used to meet you know the Super Bowl and stuff. And, but there was just something right. about that, and I think it's carried over from one decade to the next. Um, you know they're they're interesting even when they're not very good and it's it's hard to say why kind of like the Lakers maybe um, or the Knicks I guess I don't know but it's different because why Dallas Dallas isn't New York or L A. Right, but I remember when I was I was a kid I read a book on the New York Giants Dallas Cowboys rivalry and I just found found that book so fascinating and it was written based on what happened in the 70s, way back there in the day. I mean, they, they both were good. They were both competing for championships. And I was just so fascinated by that. But, um, yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah. You know, I sometimes question what, what's up with our country, and this is one of those times. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'll be curious to see if the Patriots fall off at some point. Are they still going to be – talked about and thought of and are they going to get extra attention uh by espn say for example in the nfl shows and so forth when they're not winning like the team like the, the cincinnati Bengals would not get now right i mean yeah so but you, you know the patriots, the patriots when they when they when they become consistent losers man there's going to be a party in main street of every city because not only did they win a lot but people don't like bill belichick um they call them cheaters. Um, you, you know, the Patriots are, are, are going to take a hard fall. And I, I just think that sports America is going to come down hard on the Patriots and dance on their grave. They can't wait for that to happen. And maybe it's going to happen this year. Who knows? I know. They'll know, though, for sure they'll be part of that. And there's some of that with the Cowboys. The other thing about the Cowboys, too, is when they – when they became, you know, not they were never dominant, but they were they were often really good, and obviously won some Super Bowls even way back. And Tom Landry, you know, was a little bit different. He, he was kind of stiff, and they had this sort of 
relative to his time, this sort of scientific approach. Remember all that? And, and they were just, I think that they had some, uh, developed some, some antagonists even back then, plus the way they carried themselves and the star and the way they referred to themselves as, as the country's team. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it made them relevant, even even uh, in years when they're not as we're not that good, they're still they still draw and grab our attention. Yeah, and the owner thinks he's a coach or uh, and a scout. Right. right. Um, I remember I, I covered a Super Bowl, and um, they put up for the players. It was Emmett Smith and uh, it was uh, I think it was Troy Aikman, but you know all the players had a thing. Then they had a podium for Jerry Jones. So I was assigned actually to do a profile on Jerry Jones, and uh, he became my boy because not only was I one of the few reporters talking to him, but at the end, uh, when the the players and the coaches were leaving, um, I was still talking to him. And the PR guy, you know how they try to rush you off? And he said, do you have any more questions? I said, yeah, I still have a few more. And he said, well, Mr. Jones, we got to go because the team is, is, is leaving. We're going back to the, we're going to the hotel. And Jerry Jones said, I own the team. I don't have to go anywhere. So he stayed an extra 10 minutes and talked to me. So that was my boy there. And then when um, when uh, they had the Super Bowl in Detroit, they had a outing at uh, Greenfield Village and saw him there. He was buying drinks for everybody, including me. So that's my guy there. So don't don't make fun of Jerry Jones, man. No, yeah, he's a he's certainly a larger-than-life figure. I remember I've seen him do that just outside an elevator one time I was at Cowboy Stadium and he's just sitting there shooting the breeze. He loves the attention, you know, I think. Mm-hmm. I think Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you like about most about your job as a sports columnist at the Free Press and what do you like the least about it? What what makes you want to get up early in the morning or get up to, to do your job? What 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 motivates you? What what do you like about it most? Um I mean, obviously, I, I I still enjoy the games, and uh, it's you know, obviously, it's a, it's a strange. It's been a really difficult year, and um, we didn't have sports for a while, and now that we have them back. It's it's nice to have them back. I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure people have bought in all the way. Fans aren't there, obviously, the way they they have been, and it's just something a little off. I think it's it's just we haven't reconnected with it, and so it's been tricky writing about it. Um, in that way, people are only going to read about sports in relation to COVID for so long, or, or even with some of the social justice issues, which I've written a lot about, especially in this, back in the spring and early part of the summer. But again, people start tuning out because they, they want the, they want normal, they want sports stories and so forth. But yet they, but they don't. I mean, the ratings obviously reflect that. But it, but overall, Terry, I mean, not discounting this year, and uh, not that I want to, but um, I like. Uh, there's, I, I like going to games where there's something at stake and feeling the energy and then trying to figure out how to capture that and have something to say about that. Um, I, I enjoy that. But just more generally day-to-day, because, as you know, our teams have struggled for a while, especially the pro, the pro team. I just I like the challenge of trying to figure out what to write about and having something to say and trying to be fair but also pointed at times, trying to be thoughtful and connect with readers and, you know, and I get a lot of feedback. Some of it's good. Some of some some people are upset with me or dismiss me or whatever. But they're they're reading, and um, you know, I like the back and forth uh, of that sometimes, especially when it's fairly civil, which it isn't always, and that's okay. That's part of the job. But uh, 
But yeah, I think I think Terry just trying to do talk radio if you want uncivil. Yeah, right, right. Just the the challenge of trying to figure out what to say and and how to say it, and and to have something to say. So so the mental exercise of trying to express yourself and express an opinion is uh, is still what I enjoy the most. Right now, so you you have dabbled with social issues now and then. Do do you get much blowback from that, or or do most people kind of understand that's just part of the game right now? Or do they not want to hear it? Well, I think uh, there are probably plenty of people that understand and, and don't respond. Um, but no, I get a tremendous amount of blowback, and a lot of people, every anything from you know stick to sports, right? Um, or they're just I hate you know, that one, by the way. Yeah, right. Just calling me an idiot or a, a fool or whatever because they don't agree with with the stance I've taken on the column, and that and that's fine if if they're right. But uh, no, I get I get a lot of blowback when I write political, excuse me, political sports columns or social mind, socially minded sports columns. I also get some some feedback from some folks that are appreciative, but but I would say in terms of the response. I think people are more more motivated to respond to me when they're frustrated than they are when they're when they agree with something or they like something. And it's just human nature. So yeah, the no, that's I true. I get tends to be more negative. You know what I mean? Right. You see, a lot of a lot of the stuff that is described as political, I don't see it as political. I I view it as human rights. It's uh, you know justice for all. That's not political to me. And, you know, I have a different perspective and I understand what others think is political. But to me, it's just like treating people like human beings. That's not a political issue. That's a that's a human issue. You know, we all want to be treated no, the same. No, and for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. But, yeah. No, you're right. It, it's not. You're right. From your perspective. Yeah, for sure. It's not political. Um, fundamentally, it's not. It's just. Yeah, we're human beings. We all have thoughts. And, and ideas about our, the society we live in and share and have to sort of get along, relatively uh, speaking. And and these are these are athletes with platforms, and they see things and they have thoughts about things. And sometimes society gets to certain points where they're more. Some of these players are more. Um, uh, they feel a little bit more free to express themselves, and I, I think that's a good thing. And um, and I and I've. Uh, I, I really, I don't want to say enjoyed. That sounds cheap. I don't want to diminish it, but that's been a that's been a, a challenge and a privilege in a way to try to figure out how to to capture the, some of that and write about some of that too. Even though it's it's sometimes uncomfortable for me, and and I know sometimes it makes people uncomfortable what I write, or they're just mad. But uh, but I think it's important. Yeah, you know, it, it it really pisses me off. I mean, big time when I hear someone says, "Stick to sports." Um, the way I view it is, you know, even outside of writing something, A, I'm a United States citizen, B, I have my rights, B, you have the platform to um, express your views and everything. How about if you go up to a woman and say, stay in the kitchen? You know, you would be in all kinds of trouble. Or if you tell somebody, stick to plumbing, because that's all you know you know, they would get pissed at you. So in hindsight, you know, we're all U.S. citizens. We all have a brain. We all have a view. We all want to see this country going in the right direction. 
So just because you have a sports platform doesn't mean you need to stick to sports. Just, no, I, I, I just I agree. And, I for, and, and for me, for me, Terry, when I hear stick to sports, and sometimes it's directed at me, but when I hear it in general, I tend to think of it as, I mean, to me, it's kind of racially motivated in a way. In other words, uh, when I hear stick to sports, I think, I, I want to escape. You're here to entertain me, right? Be lucky that you're making all this money in this fabulous country of ours. And, and so it's not always racially motivated, but I but I do think that that's part of it. The whole idea of shut up and dribble, it's the same thing. And and, um, and I get I, I get that folks look to look to games as a way to sort of escape. I mean, life's hard. And can be incredibly hard, and it's and it's painful, and um, and sports can bring a lot of joy, and escape. And I understand that we've been conditioned to think of sports that way, but at the same time, you know these athletes, it's, it's depending on the sport, they're not just there to entertain, right? They're not. Right. No, you're absolutely right. That, but you know what? You can't have everything you want every day, and um, you know here's I here. Well, these these athletes are making millions of dollars a year why do they care um these athletes also have friends associates who are not making million dollars a year who might live in the hood and america is not going to hear it is not going to listen to james smith from the west side of detroit if he gets up and says something you just flip the page but if LeBron James says something, you'll you'll at least listen to it. You may not like it, but you will listen. So I think these athletes are speaking up for people that America doesn't want to to listen to. They you know they don't care about some uh, some woman on welfare who's struggling and, and and may have a cause that she wants to get out. You know you just shut that off. But if you get someone from the WNBA, someone from the NBA, the NFL speaking about it, then at least people will listen. I think I think athletes understand that. And my thing is you can't get what you want every day if you are a sports fan. I, I still say even in today's uh, climate, 80 to 85 percent of what's written and what's said is the game. You can't deal with 15, oh, 10 or 15 percent shame on you. For sure. No, I completely agree. Right. Absolutely. So, but uh, I appreciate you, you know, asking the right questions and least interested in, in some of the issues that um, that I think athletes question, that I question, that others question. And, um, you know, we, we need, we all need some common ground at some point. We do. We, we all need to we be sure brothers do. and sisters. We do. We're <laughs> yeah, desperate for it. Right. Yeah, we're desperate for it. And I still think most people are a lot more alike than not. I, I really still believe that. And, uh, and when most of us want the same thing, by most of us, I mean 95% of us. You know what I mean? We, we really do. We want more or less the same things. We, we, we're, we have a lot more similar, similarities than not. And, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult right now. But I think you know, you get out, and if you can still have conversations with people one-on-one, you, you find that. You know, I, I think you really do. Yeah, you do. I mean, uh, yeah, it 
America is so different than, you know, when I grew up and when you grew up. And I mean, I, I still hear people say, well, no, it hasn't changed over the last 50 years. That's bullshit. It has changed. It's changed a lot. Where I live now, I couldn't live 30 or 40 years ago. I'd get my ass beat. But I can live in my little house here on the cul-de-sac in West Bloomfield. And nobody bothers me. So I appreciate that. Take my little walks around the lake and people wave at me and you know, say, say, have a good day. And it's a beautiful day today. And uh, we, we hope everything is good in your world. So things have no, changed. They have. And I think that's part of the, when we're, when we're talking about race and racism and, and black and white folks, and even when we're talking about conservatives and liberals and, and political views and the idea of what this country is and where we're at, I, I, both things can be true. Things have definitely changed and got better. We're not living in, in a strict Jim Crow society anymore, anymore right? So we're not officially segregated by the state, officially, right? But we're still segregated socially in lots of ways, right? And we still right. have a long way to go, and there's still all sorts of systemic issues. So both things can be true. Yes, we've gotten better, and we're trying to get better, but we still have a ways to go. So to me, that's the thing. Can, can both sides understand that both of those things are true? There are still issues, lots of them. But also, at the same time, we are, we are getting better. Yeah, I think the biggest problem is we don't listen to each other. You know, we hear what you're saying, but we're not really listening. And that's what we need to do. Sean, we are out of time. I want to thank you for joining me today. Sean, I'm a King and Boston show. This is Sean Windsor from the Free Press. He gets it. So um, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Terry. Thanks for having me on. All right. All right. Thank you. Be good, man. King and Boston. We're out of here.